I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's good, Celtics fans? Happy Monday. Well, hopefully happy. By this point, you've had time to compartmentalize what we witnessed on Saturday afternoon slash evening slash night slash Sunday morning if you're not in, in the East Coast or in the United States of America. Don't worry. We're going to hit on it. We're going to talk about it. And hopefully you're going to leave this podcast feeling a little bit better than when you came in. But there's a chance that you won't too. We'll see how it goes. As usual, for a Monday morning, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime. I got it right this time, everybody. Mr. Greg Manakis. What's popping, Greg? What's good, man? What's good? Yeah, I, we were just talking about this before we get on here, um, but I'm definitely feeling a little hungover from the game. I had a show last night, so I got the emotional hangover from that, and then the actual hangover from um, drinking a little bit too much with the friends because I actually went out for the first time these playoffs, and I went out to a bar to watch the game, so I met up with our other co-host, Will. Um, so he's my best friend, so we met up down here in Austin, Texas to watch the game. And uh, then we met up with a bunch of other buddies that are, you know, Celtics fans or Celtic fan adjacents. And it was just really good time being able to commiserate with everybody because that was a game in which misery needed company. What was Will drunk? Um, Will, yeah, I mean, he was, his girlfriend was driving. So that tells you one thing, right? She, she, she's a trooper. She came out and um, she was the designated driver for him. But I wouldn't say he, like when Will gets drunk, Will's hilarious when he's drunk, man. Like, I can't wait till we actually get to be together in person with you and uh, just hang out. Will's one of those guys that will get like super, not affectionate, but he'll, he'll do a lot of shoulder grabs. You know, when he's drinking with you. So, like, he wants to be as close to you as possible if he's really drunk. So, he wasn't doing that last night. So, I don't think I could say Will was really drunk. I think we were all just, like, enjoying being out in society watching a game because we've been doing all the stuff on playback. And as fun as that is, nothing, nothing beats getting together with your buddies and watching the game. I wouldn't know. You so, don't have any Celtic fr- friends over there, right? It's just you friends at this point, dude. I'm, I'm focused too much on basketballs and anything else, but um, no, no, not not one. No, well, not dude, when one. you when you come to the states, we will get together and we'll make sure to watch some games if they're live, or we'll go back and watch some games that have happened from the past. Hopefully, yeah, man, at the end of this season, we'll be able to like go back and watch some of these games. You know, the the the, the season the Boston Celtics won banner eighteen. Hopefully, hopefully it's this season and we can go back and watch some games from this playoff run together. It's gonna feel weird using hashtag banner nineteen in a few months' time. Yeah. So you're you're still feeling good about that, huh? I you 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 and Will came out in the last pod and you guys were saying some stuff. I was like, yo, you guys yeah, got like, the breaks a little bit. Like, listen, I don't really live in hot take territory. It's very rare you'll ever hear me come out and make a prediction about anything to do with to do with the Celtics or basketball. I might give you an educated guess and I'll reiterate the fact that it's just my opinion or my guess, but I feel strongly and I still feel strongly and we'll get into why. First of all, just to finish this talk on Will being drunk, Will <laughs> strikes me as somebody that sways a lot when they're drunk. Just a big smiley face swaying side to side. <laughs> And that's what I imagine. Oh my god, dude. I have a hilarious so the first time Will ever came to visit me at college, 
um, we were upstairs. So Will was a, he was originally in my class, but then ended up a year behind me. So he was a freshman when I was a sophomore. He went to UMass Amherst. I went to Boston College. UMass Amherst, if you don't know, that's the big party school. BC's not much, not as much of a party school as UMass, but he came to visit me and I was really cool with my RA um, who was, he, he played basketball with me. So I just knew him from basketball. So when, when Will came to visit, I was like excited that my best friend was coming to visit me for the first time. And we got trashed at the pregame, like absolutely wasted. And Will ended up coming upstairs to the party. It was like one of those dorm parties. And I didn't really recognize that Will was on swaying drunk, as you just described it. And this man leans against a pillar in the room, in the party. And within seconds, just like plants right on his butt. <laughs> he just, as my RA is watching him, he just has his hand on the pillar. And I just see him go down like a big tree. I was like, oh my God, like what you, the first time I ever bring you to college and this is what you do, bro. Uh, it was great. No, but Will, Will's, uh, Will's super fun to drink with. Um, last night, we, we, didn't, we didn't really turn up as much as we could have. I think if we had won the game, we probably would have stayed at the bar longer and had some celebratory drinks, but that comeback fell short. Yeah, we need to apologize to Will right now because he's not here to defend himself. We're talking about drunk Will. <laughs> he would agree with all this. <laughs> so let's get into the game. So I've got my good, my bad, my ugly. Now we did this format the other day when they were after game one when there was a loss. I think that it's very easy to get the bad and the ugly kind of bled in together. So we'll just stick to good and bad. I want to start with the bad because I like to end with the good. I want everybody to come away feeling happy from the show rather than starting with the good. And by the time they come away, they're like, oh man, I've got to start work now. So y'all just brought me down. It's Monday mm-hmm. morning. Yeah. So let's start with the bad. I mean, I think the obvious points that we need to touch on are the turnovers, the easy run out back um, buckets. And then for me, it was the over aggressiveness on pick and rolls. So they were over switching soft switching they were getting killed by slips killed by ghost screens and then re-watching the game the one thing i noticed heavily in the first half of the game and i'm writing about this at the moment is um they like miami really focused on corner actions they were getting pin downs dho's at the corner and instead of guys coming across the perimeter they were just curling off those corner dho's those corner screens and just going straight at whoever was in front of them knowing that help defense was going to come and they could kick out and it just felt like they had Boston's number because the intensity wasn't there. The guys weren't closing out as quickly. They weren't calling out their their assignments. You know, and it just, honestly, it felt like what we saw at the start of the year where that switch everything system had been put into place, but it hadn't quite clicked yet. Miami really made Boston look bad in that first half of basketball. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was Bam, right? Bam, he is the hub for that offense. And when you think back to why they were so successful in the bubble against the Celtics, you know, obviously we've already talked about how the roster was very different for the Celtics, but the strategy for the heat was also a little bit different with that team and their their roster construction, because they had Duncan Robinson and Tyler hero being so integral to everything that they were doing, just flying off those zoom actions and flying off dribble handoffs and relocations, all that stuff that they do. And they did to kind of mimic what the golden state warriors did, you know, do for, um out west and with this game bam obviously came out a lot more aggressive showed way more of a bag than i think anybody thought he had um point bam was back he really pushed a ball in transition kyle lowry made a big difference with his impact and just the pace of the game but i think just to your point that you're just making when bam is aggressive on the offensive end 
he's playing with a lot more force and a lot more pace. And I think that starts with Lowry, but it's also a mentality shift for Bam. And when he had such a horrible first two games where he was surprisingly invisible, seeming he made a couple defensive plays, but for the most part, he didn't make an impact. I think, you know, when he has that gravity and then people can kind of go off him and drive off him and, you know, go DHL with him. He, he makes such a big difference for that team when he's aggressive. And he's one of those guys that, for whatever reason, kind of like KG used to be, a little bit like Al Horford is, some games they just don't look for their shot. And, you know, he can still be effective when he's not looking for a shot, but they needed him to be the hub of their offense tonight. And he was, and he was able to score the ball as well. I think a part of it for me as well was when you had Rob Williams healthy and then, you know, you're either pairing Grant Williams with Rob or you're pairing Rob with Al, depending on, you know, Al wasn't around in game one. One of the biggest things about Bam is he likes to play and initiate either in the corners or on the high elbow, sorry, the high post on the elbow. Um, and what that does is it forces your big man up towards the elbow, towards that free throw line extended region. And that just gives guys plenty of room to come off flex screens or face cut like 45 degree cuts getting behind the defense and then for bam to initiate something from there or to attack the gaps that are left when somebody cuts and drags a defender with them you can't really do that when you have rob williams in that free safety role because even if bam decides to attack some space or somebody cuts you still have one of the league's best rim protectors just waiting he's just roaming around just like you know it's kind of i like to think about it like um how can I put kind of like an like of English soccer? Like you've got that goalkeeper just waiting there to jump and protect the rim, protect the net. And you can't, you can, you might blow past Horford, but you're going to meet Rub somewhere close to that rim and your shot isn't going to be there. Then you're going to have guys start to surround you, uh, kill passing lanes. And I feel like to me, I felt like Bam's like anonymity in game one and two was in large part because he couldn't play the type of offense that makes him such a viable uh, weapon for Miami because of the way Boston's defense is designed. I genuinely felt like it wasn't that Boston were honing in on Bam. It was just by design, Bam's type of style was very limited. Now, once you remove Rob Williams from that equation and there's no rim deterrent behind Al Horford, behind Grant Williams, it, it just becomes a lot easier for guys like Bam to really go to work. And to me, it spoke volumes of Rob's kind of deterrency that Bam goes off in the game where Rob isn't available. Yeah, Rob's absence was absence was huge. And I think the the biggest thing with those absences of guys like Rob Williams and elite rim protectors is just the mental shifts that everybody on the heat can make. Right. When they drive to the rim, there is no threat of the rim protection. So they're just going up there and they're not even worried about, you know, the the weak side rotation of Tice or Grant Williams or somebody like that. Even though they're capable rim protectors, they're not elite rim protectors and they don't strike fear in your heart when you're driving to the rim. They don't make you hesitate at all when you're driving to the rim. And that's what Rob brings. You know, he's one of those guys that you think back to um, the Ben Wallace's of the the world, the Dwight Howard's of the world. um, Anthony Davis, you know, when he, when he's absolutely in locked in on defense, everyone is constantly looking around 
observing when is that help defense coming and they might slow up for just a second. They don't drive with quite as much force. And Bam was just attacking relentlessly in the game last night. He looked at Al Horford and he was like, all right, man, like, let's go. Let's dance one-on-one, me and you. And he went by him multiple times, which was really surprising. But Bam has Bam has a sneaky good handle, man. He has a really good in-and-out dribble. He can go – he's a two-dribble move guy, right? If you can, If you can – make him go the third dribble, that's when Bam starts to struggle a little bit. But he can hit you with that quick in and out crossover or, or like hezzy in and out. And he he's super he's super capable of doing that. And we saw that in the game last night. He came out, definitely heard all the noise. You know that he was challenged by the Haslams and the Rileys and the Spolsters and the Jimmy Butlers letting him know that they needed him to step up in the game. And I think that that energy boost that the Celtics got in game two with Horford and Smart coming back, the Heat got that with Lowry coming back. And I think Lowry's another guy that was a real thorn in the side for the Celtics last night. You know, during the Heat post games, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Bam said that coming into game three, they were kind of like, yo, game two, Boston beat us like we stole something. You know, and that was the mentality they were coming into game three with. They beat us like we stole something. That's what he repeated it a few times. And you don't really need him to explain any more than that what sort of motivation they had coming in. Like their pride was hurt. Their, their ego was hurt. Now, from my standpoint, I was expecting Boston to handle their business. You know, you drop a couple of games at home against Milwaukee. You kind of, it kind of puts you in a position where you have to win a game seven. The Celtics can't afford to drop another game at home for the rest of this series because I'm sorry, I still think Boston is the team to, to win the series. But if this goes to a game seven in Miami, my opinion is going to drastically change very quickly too. So I, I, like for me, it's you've got to protect home court. Now, Rob not being there hurts. Bam going off hurts. But at the same time, like that's you still got ways where you could have won this game, like, you know, the turnovers. But even in the half-court offense, like, the switching just wasn't there. Bam was getting whatever he wanted because the defense wasn't executing the way they should be. It was like they didn't know how to handle pick-and-rolls happening in the corner rather than on the wing in the slot or, or at the top of the perimeter. Everything Miami did was corner action after corner action, especially in that first half of the game. And, like, P.J. Tucker was instrumental. Like, you know, he was setting screens, slipping. Then he was picking and popping down to the corner three. He was buddying guys up on the post and then kicking it back out to Bam for some secondary creation. And the Celtics just looked like they were kind, yeah, pretty much like they were spectators at times defensively. Obviously, they haven't been one of the better transition defensive teams all season. So when they turn the ball over and get scored on, you're kind of like, well, you know, that is what it is. The bread and butter is to slow this game down, make these guys work for it in half court, get some stops. And that just didn't happen until, until the third probably even the fourth really and by that point it's just too late yeah and with those those turnovers and the the lack of getting back on defense I do feel like we need to touch on Jason Tatum just for a minute I don't want to harp on Tatum because Tatum has been so important to this team and he's been the best player for for the entire season but he had a horrible game and the the gap between Tatum's ceiling and his floor right now is is just not okay you know his ceiling is on par with the best players in the world and then his floor, and I do not mean to be hot takey here. I do not mean to be hyperbolic here. His floor is like an Andrew Wiggins floor. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying like Andrew Wiggins playing an average Andrew Wiggins game. I'm saying when Andrew Wiggins has a horrible game, that's where Tatum's floor is right now. And it can't be that, you know, and if we look at his floor for the Brooklyn series, it was game two, 
right? And this is a floor that I think we're all okay with. 19 points, five for 16, two for five from three, seven or eight from the line, six rebounds, 10 assists, three turnovers. That was his worst game in the Brooklyn series, which we won. And I think we can all agree that, that that's a pretty good stat line. And he still made an impact in that game. The Bucks game three was his floor in that series. 10 points, four and 19 from the field, zero for six from three, two for three from the line, one rebound, three assists. He did have four blocks and one steal, but he also had four turnovers in that game. And then last night, hopefully we can say that this is his floor game for this series. You know, 10 points, three for 14 from the field, one for seven from three, three or four from the line, six rebounds, four, six, six turnovers. And he also had a floor quarter in game one, right? That third quarter in game one was about as bad as he could play. Now, you know that Jason Tatum is going to bounce back. Every time he has a bad game, he bounces back, even back to last season against the Nets. He had nine points in game two, and then he had that 50 spot in game three. Like, we know Jason Tatum is going to show up in game four. But the one thing I do want to talk about, because you talked about his tra- uh, the transition defense of the team, in that first quarter, he set the tone for his mentality. He had the those two floaters. They weren't turnovers, technically but they were bad shots. Those floaters that he took where he ended up, you know, three feet under the hoop where the, the the team's going back down the other way. And he's the last guy getting back into the play, which led to six points for them, led to two, three point shots for them. And that's just not okay. You know, those shots that he takes, if he's going to take an off balance shot, he also has to recognize that that's a low percentage shot, but he's also going to be out of position to get back on defense. And he's a guy that already doesn't get back on defense. Even, even if, you know, he, he, he's not taking a bad shot. So, I think for Tatum in game four, hopefully he comes in locked in on both ends of the court and hopefully him getting back on defense and not complaining to the refs and just knowing that if he makes a mistake on offense, he can make it back on the defensive end. That's the mentality shift that I think needs to happen with him because as as much as we have guys that are going to lead by example and you know aren't going to follow Tatum's lead in terms of their um, lethargic pace getting back on defense, he needs to be able to set a tone as well. And I think that the the most important thing is finding a way to limit these floor games. Like at the end of the day, we're not asking him to be at his superstar best every game because we know that that's very difficult to do. Very few players can be 100% all of the time, but these floor games is, which is probably the best, like the best way I've heard them put. So, you know, we're definitely going to use that moving forwards. They're too frequent at the moment in big, in big spots. You know, like this is Miami have got home court advantage back now going into game five. You know, there's going to be no pressure on them. <clears throat> and Tatum could Tatum is expected to be that guy. You know, I mean, now credit Jalen Brown dropped 40, but you know, seven turnovers, defense wasn't always fantastic. But we're still yet to see these two click at the same time and dominate an entire series. We see from time to time, quarter to quarter, game to game. But you know, if Jalen and Jason both click at the same time through the through you know game four, five, and six, the series is done. Miami can't contain the two of them playing at that level, and we're just not getting there because you know Tatum's arguing with the rest too much. I feel like that's been a big issue over the last probably month more than more than the rest of the season. Jalen Brown just you know you make him dribble into into traffic and it all just falls apart for him. He can score with the best of them, and I've always said that, but. He has a tendency to be like, yo, uh, who, have you ever seen, um, you ever seen Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great movie. You know where you've got, um, where he's, uh, Dave, he's got Dave Chappelle in the alley and he's telling the, and he's like, I got this. And yeah. He walks, looks like, so like that 
that reminds me of Jalen Brown when he's taking over, just like I got this, man. And then all of a sudden you're just turning turning the rock over three, four, five, six times. So when you look at the two of them, I think that both of them need to find a, a happy medium where maybe they're not getting electric every night, but they're not crashing. Because at the moment it does feel like feels like a coffee spike. You know, you get the jitters because you drank too much coffee. Boom, we're right out of there. With it. We're like, you know, we need a nap. We, we shouldn't really be here right now. And that's how it feels at the minute. Three for 14 in an instant Eastern Conference finals game. One that could put your team up and kind of put you closer to, you know, going into going to back to Miami, looking to round out the series. Three or 14 shooting is just not good enough. 14.3% from three is not good. Six turnovers. The assists to me don't even need to get discussed because if you've got less assists and you've got turnovers, you're a net negative. So I don't know. I, I was very disappointed. I don't think I don't agree with anyone calling it saying he's not a superstar or saying that he shouldn't be a, a team's number one option. I don't agree with that. The dude's still 24 years old and he's playing on a big stage. The last time he was on a stage like this, he wasn't the number one option or he shouldn't have been, you know what I mean? So there's definitely a learning curve, but I feel like those excuses are slowly starting to expire. Yeah, yeah. And there, when he goes back and watches the tape, I think what he'll see in that game is that the heat on defense, they were leaving guys in the paint. You know, they weren't, they were playing some zone, but oftentimes they had, who, which whichever the guy was, oftentimes it was Struess, whoever was guarding the worst shooter on the team was just standing right in the paint. You know, and anytime Tatum would drive to the rim, that he would just see someone standing waiting there for him, and he would try and euro step through them. He would try and do the th- you know the the extended pickup move that he likes to do in traffic. Um, and when they when they know it's coming, and when they can see it from you know two steps away versus like off of a spin move or something like that, it's a little bit easier to have your hands ready or to get your hands out of there uh, so that you don't pick up that foul. And he 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 hasn't quite figured out the distance of the defenders in this series so far. And I think he will, you know, he struggled with Wes Matthews in the last series. He struggled to figure out all of his angles. I think he's going to get there with this heat game. Um, I think this is the the floor, hopefully of the series for him. And when you look at what he did after that 10 point game in the bucks, right? So game three was his worst game in the bucks. He went 30 points, 34 points, 46 points, and then 23 points in game seven. But he, you know, he really came out in those next three games, the game four, he was 30, 13 and five in, in game four. And that's what I'm expecting out of him. Cause he's shown us that when he has a bad game, he owns up to it. He takes accountability for it and he's going to come back and, and play better in game four. But one more thing I want to touch on in terms of the bad Man, I'm starting to get concerned with the injuries mounting up for this team. We don't have a lot of depth. Yeah. And the fact that Smart came back and played, I thought he was done for the series. He he was full jump, full vertical, came down all of his weight on that ankle and then got rolled up on by Lowry. I thought he was done, man. I, I would be shocked if he's anywhere near 100% tomorrow night. Marcus Smart is a Spartan, dude. Like it's that simple, you know. He, there was Leonidas, then there was Marcus Smart. It was, <laughs> it, that's how it went. Um, seriously, though, yeah, I completely agree. I think that you know, losing Mark, like we saw how much Boston struggled to initiate offense without Marcus in game one. We saw that he, Smart being on the floor just helps things tick over, especially in that half court when they, when the game slows down. I mean, all credit to him, man. He came back out and put it all on the line for his team. They were down, they needed it. I think him coming back was a turning point in the way the Celtics kind of executed on both sides of the floor. He really 
you know, kind of like I wouldn't know if it's emotionally inspired, but he he definitely inspired some form of response from his teammates. So like you you have to credit that, and it's like an all time marker smart moment in my opinion. One of the better moments, you know, when he's walking back through the crowd and you hear the cheers, everybody's loving it. But like you say, there's a good chance, a high chance that he's not 100. percent There's even a chance that he doesn't play or he goes minutes restriction. You know, Tatum hurts his shoulder or is like, you know, has to come off the court, then comes back. You've got Rob that's essentially day to day for the rest of the playoffs at this point. Mm-hmm. Grant grabbed at his shoulder in the first half, too. He got yep. fouled reaching up and it looks like his shoulder kind of buckled on, on him a little bit. And that that man, the, the physicality of this series and the last series, I obviously we had a break in the first round. <laughs> the Nets weren't very physical with us at all, but the Bucks are about as physical as it gets. And then. I thought that this series, it was going to be less physical and there, especially against guys like Tatum, like PJ Tucker is probably the most physical defender in the entire league. And he's just arm fighting with Tatum throughout the whole game. And it's no wonder that Tatum ended up hurting his shoulder at some point, just because the amount of times his arms are extended as PJ Tucker is moving into him. That's just like putting your shoulder in a compromising position. And it, it looked like it buckled on him. I don't know if he got a stinger or if he had like a subluxation, which is like a quick dis- dislocation, not a full dislocation. Um, it looked like that's maybe what happened to him. Oftentimes with that, I know this from personal experience, but oftentimes what happens is you'll have like a slight labrum tear, which you, you can play through. But anytime your shoulder pops in and out, it, it, the reason it does that is because the labrum tears just a little bit. Um, so I would not be surprised if at the end of the season, we got word that either Grant or Tatum had like a slight labral tear in their shoulders. Um, because it, 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 to me, as someone that's happened to me hundreds of times, dude, I had, I had shoulder surgery um, back in the day and it happens anytime your shoulder is extended. And I think with PJ Tucker being as physical as he is, that's going to, that's something to keep an eye on for Tatum. So now we have Rob with the knee. We got smart with the ankle. We've got Tatum with the shoulder. We've got Grant with the shoulder. And then still lingering is the concern of JB's hamstring, which at any yeah. point could could get hurt. It's just tough, man. There's not a lot there for the Celtics to, to play with. And, you know, we can't rely on Aaron Neesmith. We definitely can't rely on Tice because Tice has just been god-awful. So I don't know what the Celtics are going to be able to do if Smart is, is not able to play in game four because we need that man on the court. Thankfully, on the other side, Jimmy Butler, you know, didn't come back. And it looked like Tyler Hero also had some sort of issue with his quad. Um, but they, ha- they have the depth to overcome it, and we don't. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like one of the biggest issues is even if you get through this series, how banged up are you? How, how much is left in the tank to face what looks like it will be the Warriors? Do you know what I mean? Are you, are you at, at enough? Are you at 50, 60%? Is there enough in the tank to do another big series? Now, thankfully, the Warriors don't project to be nowhere near as physical. It's going to be a game more of finesse. It's going to be more of a skill-based kind of series. Whereas, whereas Milwaukee was complete brute force. And I think that, you know, I don't think Miami have been that physical games one and two. I think they've been aggressive. Will, Will said that the other day, and I really agreed with it. They've been aggressive more than they have been physical. Game three, Kyle Lowry back at a higher, um, playing at a higher speed, a higher pace. That's the word I was looking for. Running a lot more screening actions because they've got a guard that can start initiating more. The physicality ratcheted up two or three notches, you know, Bam was playing physical. As you said, PJ Tucker got physical. Lowry's a, uh, like, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. He's broad. He can play physical. You start to see the injuries. Now, is Jason Tatum going to recover? Is that shoulder going to recover in time for game five? Is it game four? Game five? Game four. Game four. 
Yeah. I think, I, think I think I think he'll be okay. I think he'll be okay. Yeah. And then you got Smart, you got JB, as you said, you got Rob. There's just so many, and like you can the Celtics can deal with one injury. You know, one guy goes down, they've got enough depth to be able to to stay afloat and be a very competitive team. Two guys go down, as we saw in game one. There's just not enough depth there. All of a sudden, you get Aaron Neesmith being thrust into the lineup for the first time in the postseason, playing like proper minutes instead of garbage time minutes. And that's a huge concern, man. But that's going to be a concern for pretty much every team in the playoffs. You you build a team with a top eight or nine guy rotation. And then if somebody gets hurt, you have to lean on somebody that usually wouldn't get minutes. So I don't, but the problem is there's four or five guys for Boston right now that could potentially have to miss time in the next few games. For sure. And we, we can talk as we want to transition into, into the good and we can talk about X's and O's and like what we saw in the last game, what to look forward in, in game four. But to me, man, the, the bigger thing that I, I, I kind of am feeling about this right now is the amount of adversity the Celtics have faced in these playoffs and they've always bounced back from it. And I'm just, I'm still looking at that end of the season Celtics holding up the championship trophy. I, I still see that happening. And to think like how much adversity they're facing in in these playoffs, if they are to win the championship, this is going to go down as like one of the all-time championships. Going through the Nets in the first round, going through Giannis in the second round, this Miami team that's super, super, um, you know, they, they're just they're just a great team, dude. And um, and then you're going to have to potentially face either Luka, which it doesn't look like right now, or the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry. Like if they go through that gauntlet and end up ho- hoisting the championship where, you know, the Celtics social media posts, Jalen Brown holding the trophy, just hashtag shifted. Like it, I, I see all that stuff happening. I still think that if we get through this series, we will have enough in the tank to win the finals. To me, whoever wins this series is more likely to win the finals than whoever comes out of the West. Cause I think we're more prepared for like the physicality of what the finals is going to look like versus what the Warriors are going to be ready for. Cause you saw how the Warriors struggle with the Grizzlies in, uh, in the, in the last round. And if they go up against either of these teams, I think they're going to face very similar problems. I think my biggest concern is right now, Boston needs to start stringing wins together. It's what, it's what I like, like, you know, it's what carried that book series to a seven game series. It's what's hurting them right now. It's win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. And then all of a sudden your back's against the wall, win, win. Whereas if you can string a couple of wins together, you get more rest time. You get time to get your body right. Now I saw a tweet from, um, I think it was, is it McMahon from Tim McMahon from ESPN saying, um, you know, this isn't indicative of the way the series is going, but Miami have won tw- two quarters of basketball in three games and they've got two wins. Both of Boston's losses have came off like real big quarters early in games and then Boston have been in a hole they've had to dig themselves out. You look at the points off turnovers, I think it was like 28 points off turnovers in this game. You lose by barely anything, you know, what was the loss? I've got the score in front of me. You, you lose by, what's that, six? You lose by six, but you give up 28 in, in turnover points. A lot, every loss in this series especially has been self-inflicted. Now, if you mm-hmm. can start tidying up that that passing, and obviously Miami are really good at speeding you up. They're really good at forcing um, you to make passes and then they're jumping the passing lane. But you need to be able to string a couple of wins together because in my opinion, if you can win this game in six, 
you get a bit of rest time before you go and face Golden State. And I agree with you. I don't think Golden State are prepared for the level of physicality either Miami or Boston will be bringing to the floor. But we're talking about a team with pure championship pedigree. Mm-hmm. They've been there. They've been against physical teams. You know, they've, they've defeated teams that play a, a robust bully ball type of basketball. They've defeated LeBron. So I think they are kind of ready for it. I just don't know whether at their age now, you know, Steph's getting older, Dre's getting older, Clay's getting older than the injuries. Are they capable of overcoming it? That's the bigger question for me. Yeah, for sure. And I think thinking about the Warriors, um, that that pool party lineup, I heard this, I think it was on the low post. That it's only played, it only played one minute in the last game or maybe in the series. I forget what the actual stat was, but you know, having Clay, Steph, and Jordan Poole on the floor at the same time, whichever team makes it into the next round, if the Warriors go with that lineup, that's a very exploitable lineup, you know, and someone like Jimmy Butler can go hunting for Jordan Poole. Somebody like Jason Tatum can go hunting for Jordan Poole. So they're not really going to be able to like play their best offensive lineups without sacrificing a lot on the defensive end. So they have their own challenges as much as people, you know, they look at the championship pedigree and maybe right now some people have them as the favorites to win the title. Um, I think I think with whoever wins this series in the East, in my opinion, is is more likely to win the finals. But just going back to my original point, like the, if this what like what what would be your take on on the Celtics winning banner 18 in this year, man? Like this has been a really tough schedule for them. Yeah, this is it's an all time championship, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You're going yeah. against Kevin Durant, arguably the best player in the world. You beat him. Then you go up against Giannis rightfully the best player in the world at the moment then you come through that you're going up against jimmy butler the most informed inform player of the in the world at the moment you know just a complete wing playing the best basketball of his life arguably playing the best basketball of the postseason period then you go you, you used to pass that then you go up against stephen curry the best shooter in the history of the world against like in the history of the game in the world everything then you go up against Draymond Green one of the most cerebral defenders that the game's seen in a long time Clay Thompson one of the best supplementary scorers that we've ever seen and you defeat them well that's an all-time run to me because how much how much more difficult could it have possibly been you know what I'm saying so my, my take on it would be like Yo, you got to lift that banner to the rafters. Then you need to give Ime Udoka a lifetime deal. You need to, you know, I'd start overreacting. Obviously, I don't wish anyone to get a lifetime deal because you, you start resting on your levels. <laughs> um, And that's, that's bringing me on to the good, you know, because I do think that this Celtics team is still the better team in this series. Uh, as I said a moment ago, their losses are self-inflicted. What I liked from Udoka was he started to counter with his lineups and his rotations. You know, we saw that one rotation where it was Marcus Smart, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, and then I think it was Al Horford and Jason Tatum. And he just literally surrounded Tatum with floor spaces. Floor spaces and guys that could put the ball on the floor, could penetrate, could score off a catch and shoot. And everyone apart from Pritchard is a high-level defender. So, I, And he did that to counter, I can't remember what Miami did, but he did it to counter what Miami had put on the floor. And all of a sudden, Celtics make a run. And we haven't really seen Udoka counter rotations like that 
so far in his early career in Boston. We've seen him make tweaks, but to to, to do something as bold as put out three like three guards along with a big and Tatum. I don't recall seeing him do that uh, throughout, like through the postseason or the regular season. So I was impressed by that because that took guts. Yeah, for sure. And I think what allowed him to do that, because I think that was in the second half that that lineup was out there. You know, no Jimmy Butler. You know, so Jimmy Butler's out in the second half, so you don't have to worry about someone like Peyton Pritchard getting exposed in the defensive end. And you, you really just like, all right, we're down twenty. We need our best offensive lineups on the court. Um, we obviously need to take care of the ball, but what, what? What are the chinks in the armor that we can expose right now without Jimmy Butler being out there? And Vic Oladipo had a heck of a game, man, in the second half. He was so good on the defensive end. He, I think he forced like five or six turnovers by himself in that second half after not really playing in the first half. I don't think he played in the first half. But I agree, man. I think Udoka like seizing that opportunity to be like, oh, let's try something different because they don't have their ace in the hole of Jimmy Butler, you know, apex predator jimmy butler going hunting for little uh p rabbit you know he 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 wasn't he he wasn't there on the court to go hunting for him so i like i really like that adjustment as well and then jb man like I, as i know he struggled taking care of the ball in the second half but i'm not gonna knock the guy man like o- oladipo um is one of the in his prime was one of the best on ball defenders in the league and i think jb quickly realized that like he went at him three or four times in a row and, and Oladipo's like stonewalled him three or four times in a row stole the ball from him twice um two times in a row and I think JB eventually was like okay this is not the guy for me to go iso on he started to get off the ball a little bit and um you know shoot threes a little bit more he was on fire from three in the second half after missing some easy ones in the first half but I think seeing Jalen Brown play with the level of force and looking healthy and um you know playing explosively I think is it bodes well for game four because you know Tatum's going to show up. And if JB is just playing explosively and playing with confidence, he's got that three-point shot going, that really does bode well uh, for this team. And then uh, Peyton Pritchard, I also think, deserves a little shout. I just think he's playing good basketball right now, dude. Like his shot looks good. Um, He's confident with that handle. I wouldn't mind seeing him bring the ball up a a little bit more against pressure um, to kind of be an escape valve for everyone else who has to deal with, you know, 94 feet of pressure. I think he's a guy that Ime is going to give a lot more minutes to um, potentially in game four. I think the other good thing about Brown as well is we found a target that he can attack consistently with great success. You know, Tyler Hero had, or Hero, I always say Hero, had no answer for Jalen Brown on the rip through. None at all. Jalen could just drive at him and drive at him and drive at him. And Hero's just like, yo, just take my cookies, dude. Have have all the cookies. I don't don't want no piece of it. So just like we know that Miami are going to target Peyton Pritchard when he's on the floor and they're going to run actions to get Pritchard switched on to Jimmy or to Carl Lowry. When our Boston have their answer to that, we're going to run actions to put Jalen Brown on Tyler Hero because we know that if you want to target one guy and keep spamming that action, we can do the same on the other end. And sometimes just having that becomes like a deterrent. Like, oh, okay, so we, are we really going to watch like four quarters of Brown cooking Hero and Butler cooking Pritchard? No, they're, they're, both teams are going to start making adjustments after a, a while. So to me, that's a good way of being like, all right, then we, you know, you can't hunt us because we can hunt you too. And it starts to open things up a little bit more. I do think that Pritchard played some good D on Jimmy at times. You know, there's that one possession where um, 
I think it was late in the first already in the second where Pritchard switched on to Jimmy. Jimmy's trying to body him down. Mm-hmm. Pritchard stands strong. Jimmy faces up, doesn't get the shot off, then ends up. And it was just a, a really solid possession from Pritchard as if to say, like, yo, you can't bully me, dude. I want to stand my ground. And I think that Pritchard's been one of the most underrated members of the rotation through the postseason because he's come up clutch in a few different games at this point. Yeah, he's been great, man. I, I can't say enough about Peyton Pritchard, but I, I loved that moment because the crowd knew what was happening. Right. The crowd knew that Jimmy Butler was going hunting for Pritchard. And the moment they got in the ISO, they pretty much everyone started like standing up and, and cheering for Pritchard. It was great. And then, you know, when when he initially stopped him, he forced him to pick up his dribble and he didn't have the initial shot. You know, people went wild. The, the crowd started reaching that all time like garden fever that only the garden can hit. And then he Pritchard forced the shot because we denied the, that first pass. And Jimmy took the fadeaway jumper and he came up super short and the crowd just went bananas. And that was like one of those moments that I think started to shift, you know, the momentum in that game just a little bit. Um, and I think watching back that game last night, I, I do want to, can, can I talk about the rest for a second? Just real quick. Yeah. I know we don't like complaining about the rest, but man, there were so many moments in that game that the Celtics um, killed their own momentum, but also the refs, man, like the amount of illegal screens they're allowing the Miami Heat to do, especially Bam Adebayo and P.J. Tucker, it's getting ridiculous, man. There was one play in the, I think it was the, I think it was late in the first half, maybe early in the second, where they called Horford for a moving screen, right? And it probably was a moving screen. And then the very next possession, P.J. Tucker came up on Jalen Brown and like hip-checked him and the only difference between those two, and they didn't call it, the only difference between those two is that Kyle Lowry exaggerated the contact and flailed, and Jalen tried to fight through the contact, and he didn't get the call. So, like, if the refs are going to reward the the Heat for flailing, you know, if, if Horford kind of leans into a screen, the Celtics are going to have to do the same because the Heat set illegal screens all game. Bam Adebayo sets illegal screens almost every single time, and so does P.J. Tucker. So I would like for the Celtics to exaggerate that contact a little bit because I think that I, I counted at least six illegal screens where refs were literally staring at the play happening. And then Max Struess, bro, that guy plays like physical on the defensive end. You can get by him, but he sho- he shoves. He'll hip check you as you go by him. He'll put his uh, he'll put his forearm into your into your core to get you off balance in the air, like kind of dangerous plays. People driving to the basket. I think the refs just need to get a handle on the games early in game four because the physicality of game three. To me, I thought the refs completely lost control of that game, and that didn't do the Celtics any favors. Yeah, and there's a fine line, right? Because sometimes against Milwaukee, I felt like the refs were too in control. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, sure. there was no rhythm whatsoever. This obviously, this version, we're like, oh well, you know, you do need to have some form of protection for these guys, and I think that's what led to Grant Williams getting in PJ Tucker's face at one point because it was like, yo, you've been, you've been hip checking dudes, you've been shoving guys all game, you've had your el- elbows and forearms in people's backs. Now you go and do it to Tatum, you know, the star. Now we need to kind of come and step into your face a little bit and just let you know, like, yo, we know what you're doing. We're not having none of that. But as you said, it shouldn't get to that point. And when you face a, a team like Milwaukee that was super physical, we never really saw any like um, any two guys really going at each other because the refs were stomping it out early and often. They were like, no, we're not going to allow this and we're going to draw a line here. And all, all I ask is for consistency. You yeah, know, If yeah. you're going to call it on one end, call it on the other. If it's going to be so very similar with a slight difference, 
make sure you call it and keep guys from getting frustrated from where they feel the need to get in each other's faces because all, you don't want guys to get into an altercation to get suspended to kind of you know dampen the next game and remove some talent from that rotation because then you put an asterisk on the series you give one one fan base or you give both fan bases an opportunity to be like oh well, this didn't happen and we had so and so then we would have mm-hmm. won like so just just control the game man so i, I do agree i think the refs were a bit lackluster in this game yeah, and they, they the consistency I totally agree with, but they got to call the the action and not the result of the action. If you think that leaning into somebody on a screen is an offensive foul, then call the lean in. Don't call the person who just like falls to the ground and flails. Don't call that reaction the foul. Call what the guy actually does to create that contact. And that, that's the only thing. I, I watched it back this morning, man, and I was just super frustrated. I kept slowing down I, in real time. I was like, that was an illegal screen. And then I would slow it down and watch it and, and you know, in half speed, uh, not 0.5 speed. And, <laughs> and every time I saw that, I was like, no, they're leaning in. in. In real time, it's a lean in. And then also when you slow it down, you can see they're very clearly um, committing illegal screen. So ho- hopefully the Celtics send that tape to the, to the league and they get a handle on that. Not 0.5 speed. Not 0.5. Not 0.5. Um, no, I agree. And I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, until the refs get a handle on it, the when we were talking about injuries and susceptibility and guys that are susceptible to injuries, we're going to see someone get hurt. And that all that's going to do again is put an asterisk on there. You know, both teams have fought hard to get into the conference finals as it is. I just want to see it played physically but clean and fair. You know, and there's a, there's a world where that can happen. We just didn't see in this game. But at the same time, when you are getting punched in the mouth and guys are being physical with you, you can't allow them to do that without fighting back. And I think that's where Boston went wrong in the first half of this game, was they were getting out muscle. They were, like This team came out and was like, right, then we're going to be Severus Snape and we're going to master you with the dark arts. And Boston were like, nah, dude, we're Gryffindor. We're going to stand, we're going to rise above that. And it just, you know, sometimes it takes a while for that to happen. Whereas I would have preferred them to have... Uh, taking that potion um that harry and run did where they look like the slivering dudes do you remember the one <laughs> yeah poly juice potion yeah, yeah they need yeah. Poly juice potion yeah, exactly yeah, so you, get, you get the you get the uh the idea behind what i'm trying yeah to say. no I, I got you i got you but uh, to one one last point though like we started tice in the game and i think tice is the wrong guy to start if you want to punch back Tice is just a punching bag for physical teams, man. And he he just doesn't have the ability to stand up to a bully. He just he just kind of gets pushed around on the court and then doesn't really do anything about it. I think he had a couple nice defensive possessions, guarding Bam in isolation. But in general, he doesn't set a good tone. And hopefully we have Rob back for game four and Tice doesn't have to see the floor. But Ime, I, I understand why he decided to go with Tice in the starting lineup to keep Grant coming off the bench and keep guys in certain roles. But... To me, Daniel Tice does not deserve minutes against Miami Heat. They look at him as a target, and they take advantage of that target. He's food. Right, I'm going to end with this because Keith Smith tweeted this out while we were recording. Um, Little injury update heading into game four. Jason Tatum is fine. Marcus Smart has a bad bad ankle sprain, getting treated today, which is Sunday, and Celtics will see for Monday's game. So, you know, we're going to put that marking down as questionable. Robert Williams is feeling better, but still day-to-day and questionable for game four. So really, grand scheme of things, you're listening to this podcast on Monday morning, Marcus Smart and Robert Williams are questionable to start the day. Not the best place to be after we both have said earlier that, you know, you can hide one injury on this team. If you've got two, things are going to start looking quite bad quite quickly. 
Yeah, and we told you that we were going to leave you feeling good at the end of this podcast. I said so maybe. To, <laughs> so to get you feeling good, there's no way the Celtics lose two in a row at home. I think they've shown that they can bounce back. Jason, you know Jason Tatum's going to come out. The fact that Tatum's okay, I think that's the biggest news takeaway from the injury report. Tatum's going to go off in game four, and I think the Celtics tie this up. And Celtics, anyone from the teams listening right now, I play basketball today for the first time in two years. Um capable of coming off the bench for you and giving you a solid two and a half minutes of basketball. <laughs> I could at least run full speed into, I could probably run full speed into Tyler here and take him out. Not PJ Tucker. Don't ask me to do that. Cause like yeah, that dude will knock me out. I don't know. I've got NBA size. I just don't have NBA talent. <laughs> You're what? Six, six, three, two thirty right now. Yeah. So I measured myself yesterday actually, cause my little one wanted to say how tall she was. So I'm literally like, um, I'm right there at six three so i'm not like i'm I'm at six three but i'm not like six three and a quarter so i'm like gotcha. pretty much bang on six three around about 240 okay. yeah that's some size man you could at least go out set some screens you know be a linebacker on the court i'm six feet 190 so um but i got i got glass shoulders bro i, w- I would definitely get hurt within the first 30 seconds of being out there so you know i i think they're better off going with you or at least you know maybe going with uh, my my guy malik I want to see. I want to see if Malik could actually get a couple minutes. If if we need somebody because of because of um, depth issues, I think Malik offers enough on the defensive end with his size. Where I'd like to see what he could do um, just for one stint. So I'm two forty five. By the way, I'm six three two forty five. Hey, so I'm 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 big enough to be like um. No, Mr. Kyle Lowry, you cannot bump me today. <laughs> but I am not good enough to be like, no, Mr. Kyle Lowry, you're not getting past me or you're not scoring. I mean, it'll be, yes, Mr. Kyle Lowry, you can score on me at will today. So Let's work we, you out for a, a 10-day contract uh, next season. We'll see what's up. Yeah, with like um, the under 10s. <laughs> <laughs> Right, everybody, uh, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure you tell it all your friends, your family, share it on social media. If you've enjoyed hearing Greg's voice, well, Greg's voice is also in musical form. That's right. So make sure you go check out check out his band, Black Sheep Optimist. Greg will tell you where you can find those. Yeah, you can find us on um, you know all social media platforms at Black Sheep Optimist. Uh, search us up. So it's three words, Black Sheep Optimists with an S at the end of that. Um, search us up on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music. Uh, we actually had a show last night, which which went super well. Um, we got another show June 11th at this big hip hop festival in Texas. Um, and then after that, taking a little break from music, hopefully uh, for like a month um, where I can just kind of chill out and spend time with my family back in Boston. Going to be back in Boston for the summertime. But check out Black Sheep Optimus. Um, we're going to be releasing some new tracks within the next few months. And um, appreciate you listening. You'll hear my voice at the end of, of this pod. That's a song that from our first EP that's called D-Lo. Thanks, everybody. Just to wrap it up, I know you kind of like led into your to the outro now. But um, I hear you're opening for Jay-Z. Yeah, that's, that's actually true. That is not a false statement. I'm opening for uh, Jay-Z. It's not the Jay-Z you know, but it is. <laughs> it's a different Jay-Z, but, you know, this one's J-A-Y-E-E-Z-I-E-E-Y, Jay-Z. But uh, there we go, everybody. Uh, we'll catch you again on Wednesday. Peace out. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, 
Just rather be creative than stressing my wages Ageless every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major Still, he chased greatness, expected that he might fail And I might too, I might never get to pop champagne 